The Courage to Grow is business. The Big Small Business Show made possible by MTN Business, a new world of business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today. On the menu today, and you're asking us for ways in which you can present profitable proposals to your customers. Yes, sure. because your revenue and your profitability has dropped. Yes, the margins are, are under pressure, and uh, revenue has dropped. And I think that's a function of companies cutting back. Customer who needs uh, needs support today could be a customer uh, of the future, an individual of the future that uh, um, uh, is able to move up in life and become a future customer. So, so in terms of the definition of financial instruments, we're looking at your cash, debtors and your creditors for a very small entity. Hello and uh, warm, warm welcome to the big small business show. On the show, we assist entrepreneurs at various stages of their entrepreneurial journey, whether you just thought of something in the shower this morning or you are somewhere far on your journey and uh, life uh, has... Uh, throwing you a couple of curveballs in your entrepreneurial journey and you need to reconfigure your strategy. This show is for you. Now Mona Lisa, uh, as you can see, is still on leave and will soon join us again. But as always, I have Kumaran Pariyachi, who is our finance guru. Uh, Kumaran is uh, CEO of uh, Spartan SME Finance and uh, he's asked me to be very nice to him today, so I will comply. Now, speaking of nice, our guest in studio today is Jeff Sainer. He's founder of Creative Incentives. This company has been in operation since 1986 and offers incentive, recognition, and reward programs. Let's have a look. Creative Incentives is a business that creates incentive, recognition, and reward programs that inspire and motivate people, stimulate their performance, and help deliver better business results. The company provides tailored bespoke programs that include incentive travel, online product, lifestyle experiences, mobile vouchers, and more. The CEO of the company, Jeff Sainer, has been in the incentive industry for over two decades and has seen how this space has allowed him to help build profitability and productivity for his clientele over the years. Well, a long time ago, I was in uh, the advertising industry um, and one of my clients uh, at that stage had um, South Africa's biggest uh, retail incentive. And after a couple of years, they asked me to join them uh, to specifically run it. Um, and from running that for a few years, I then uh, left and decided to take up travel and other things uh, in terms of reward myself. And the reason for that is I could see that how, just how much um, incentivizing a person counts for their productivity and for them having, having more fun at work. Uh, it was incredible to see the difference in performance from those who were motivated and those who were not motivated. And that actually appealed to me. So I went in that, into that full time. Um, I began with a, uh, a bar fridge as a leaving present uh, and 5,000 Rand in the bank um, and uh, bought a golf ball typewriter and uh, uh, began with a, a logo and everything else on olive green paper, which doesn't really help when you're typing and you make a mistake because Tipex is white. 
And uh, so from that kind of base, one started. Um, and moving right through the years, obviously, into state-of-the-art uh, modern apps, digital, etc. The company has been in operation for 32 years and has had a major financial downfall from 100 million to a turnover of 50 million in the last financial year, with a permanent staff of 10 and occasional freelancers. I've been with Creative Incentives for five years. I've been in the incentive industry for about 10 to 11 years now. Um, it's been a wonderful experience. I've learned quite a bit um, in terms of employee engagement, um, staff motivation. I mean, I have great leadership um, and my clients are just awesome clients. As soon as there's budget cuts, the first cut is either the marketing budget or the incentive budget. And that has been part of the challenges that we've experienced over the couple of years. Um, however, you know, like I said, once we go back to educating the corporate market and the employer, the importance of an effective incentive program, then they will understand that instead of cutting this budget, this is the very budget that's supposed to be assisting you in achieving your end line. Jeff seeks to see his company grow back to its prime and wants to find ways of securing anchor clients that will pay overhead. Some people watching might think, why is he on small business when he's talking 50 million and 100 million? Coming back to pure profitability, you can make a loss at 50 million, you can make a loss at 100. Um, hence, looking to your panel for um, uh, uh, guidance as to how does one pitch oneself profitably while still maintaining growth and, and looking, looking for further uh, improvement in the business. How to, how to pair it, how to get the right people there, um, and how to ensure that what the service and value that you're offering clients is seen as value, and therefore they stay with you longer. Well, as you heard, Jeff asked us to give him guidance on how to present a profitable product and at the same time add value to the client. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Right, so for those of us who are watching here and don't actually understand what it means to have an incentive program, we understand incentives, but what does the, it mean to have an incentive program in place? Sure, a, a program in place means that um, it can ultimately produce better business results for a company by increasing the productivity, increasing the motivation of the staff, and also increasing uh, brand loyalty in the, in the dealer channel. But, but that, to me, would be the benefit of it. But what, what is it? Is it that you set, a, uh, you set an incentive and then give a reward? Is it as simple as that? It, it, is, it sounds as simple as that, uh, but it's the mechanisms behind that that drive it, rather than simply having a CEO's memo or a, a uh, uh, HR memo that goes out to say XYZ has now received their reward. Yes. Uh, we drive it with the communication and, and everything tangible and visible is, is what makes it really strong. So in a, in, in a simplistic way, this would be like oh, uh, doing what Vitality does for consumers to incentivize them with the right behavior. You, you programmatize this way. Absolutely. We, we write up the program that would drive the performance uh, and then help the company drive that performance or they would outsource it to us completely to drive it for them. And is your margin, from a business model point of view, is your margin made as a, if there's travel that you make a commission on the travel, or do you charge a fee over and above? No, there, there is a fee on, on everything, and I think that's where um, over the years, over the past, let's say, five years, the, the pressure has come from margins being reduced yes. by competitors coming into the market um, and prepared to work for less and less and less and less. Um, and so ultimately, your margins are driven down on the travel on the product 
and in fact on cash management into prepaid debit cards. Has the internet had any effect on your, your business, either in a positive or, or negative way? In other words, you started 30 years ago, there was, um, let's say, you, you, it was quite difficult from it digitally to, to mm. program something, but mm. today mm. it's more easier and easier. So has that impacted your business? It's, it's impacted it from a positive way because it, it uh, moved everything from pure printed catalog, which became many, many pages, yeah. uh, into online system, and from online system now into, into mobile and, and into app. So it makes it, it makes it easier from that point of view to, um, for somebody to uh, see where they are on a leaderboard, see where the rewards are, what their choices are. But it also has to take into account um, different uh, levels and profiles of the, the customer staff that we have. So not everybody has a smartphone, and although smartphones are moving up, up the ladder to, to be smart, um, the, yes, to answer your question, yes, it has impacted and it is positive. Well, uh, we have to take a break now. After the break, we will continue with more questions for Jeff. This is the Big Small Business Show, and we're continuing our panel discussion. When I talk about panel, it's just to me and the Steve Jobs-esque uh, Kumaran Padiachi here in his very uh, Steve Jobs-esque. It's winter. Clothing. It's uh, winter wear. Come on. Okay. It's just <laughs> him and I, and our guest in studio today is uh, Jeff Sainer, and they offer incentive, recognition, and reward programs. Now, before the break, we're trying to get a, a sense of uh, what an incentive program is and perhaps why it's important. Come on, you want to kick off? Right, so the context for the audience is that your revenue has dropped as uh, as you said in the as an insert and you're asking us for ways in which you can present profitable proposals to your customers. Yes, sure. Because your revenue and your profitability has dropped. Yes, the margins are, are under pressure and uh, revenue has dropped and I think that's a function of companies cutting back. Um, so and, that's and one lever that's themselves, and I that's think dropped. that's one aspect, yes. So your target market of customers in yesteryear or up to now is what what type of customers do you target? Literally Skimmy sizing some Sure, kind of in anything from fifty upwards, although literally any company size can benefit from the programs that we run. And it's simply uh, it's it's quite it, it's a very easy plug and play. When I say system, some companies back off because they think there's a there's yes. a, a big implementation yeah. and even integration to yeah. happen. It doesn't have to happen. Where like does it that tap out? All. Where is it? Where does the economics make better sense for them to do it themselves? Uh, if it's if it's below 50, 40, 30, 20, it would and be better the for end? themselves. Top end, it's wide open. It can oh. be literally. But in thousands. reality, where's you, where is it averaged out? Your customer. It it averages out around about the thousand uh, employee is, base. Is, is that your average? Sure. Right. Yeah. And you've seen cutback in that area, eh? The the cutback has been more on the on the from there downwards, should we say? So where there's nine hundred and five hundred and and that kind and of. And just before number. I pass the bait into Alan here, uh, here is have they has the cutback been because they've switched off the incentive program? To say no more, yes. Or have they gone to your competitor or some alternative? 
let's say all of those. Um, all of those. Yes. So I think we need to unpack there's a combination each of one of those. Yeah, for, yes. for, for me, I'm more interested actually, and I'm glad you segued this, is the alternative. Mm. Because 10 years ago, there might not have been an alternative. Today, there's an alternative. Mm. And I'm smelling that that's um, where we need to tickle around. Um, what is that alternative? You said that there's an alternative that they go to. The alternatives are, like you mentioned now, there's, there's many more competitors in the market. Yeah. Um, and but that's the same as, okay, well, so, so uh, where I'm going here is that very often when an industry matures, it gets highly competitive yes. and then it starts to go into decline. Yes. What's happening concurrently is that there is a new S-curve starting yes. somewhere, very often unseen in the beginning. Mm. And it, that becomes what they call the alternative. Yes. Okay. And that soon that alternative becomes the new industry. Yes. What might that be for you? I think it's a movement to, to app more than, more than online. Yeah. Uh, and, and with that combination, um, uh, companies are looking purely for app without thinking what they need to do before they get there. Um, because of technology having moved so far forward, they're saying app, 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 when in fact, Online is what they need because from that they can get the the tangible, which is the the top result of travel, which is the the highest and best motivator. Um, in between that, there's the online product, uh, and in that there are life, lifestyle experiences and any kind of um, home product. And then there's prepaid debit card, and a lot of companies have turned to the prepaid debit card as instant cash, and they're looking at cash as the ultimate uh, incentive, when in fact. Worldwide research shows it's it's a 50-50 cash being king or not so king versus tangible product and tangible travel which has a lot of memory memories and memorability factor. Yeah, and of course I, w I would assume that if there was an experience, then there is the uh, the branding effect of that that people talk about that. Correct. If I get uh, two thousand rand in a debit order, yeah. or I have an experience. Yeah. I talk about my experience. I don't go and say, yeah, and I went to exactly the shops that. to spend on exactly, my groceries. Exactly that. And, I, and, and uh, nobody has memorability as to what they are spending the, that cash in the card on. It's very easy to do. It's very quick to reload. But to have that experience and to talk about it and to show people the product at home when they come for a braai on a Sunday um, certainly has uh, a lot more brag value mm -hmm. than anything else does. And, and obviously an overseas trip or even a local trip has a lot of brag value. Hmm. That cash thing, is it still, they, do they take, take the employee's tax off there? Definitely, definitely. Everything's taxable. So I would like to know that uh, if you have a Mont Blanc pen and it's above a certain value, it's taxable. So, it, so there's been people more just stuff the incentive, let's just give cash instead Absolutely. of their memory. Why Absolutely. do you think that's been? I think because it's very easy to do. Um, it's, it's simple, they simply send us a spreadsheet, from that spreadsheet, we instantly load and we SMS the uh, the uh, cardholder to say that. So you're doing that, absolutely. And how much yeah. do you charge for that? We charge a small uh, administration fee, um, and and perhaps again too small. If one looks at it and, and decides you you actually need to make a better margin, yeah. but there are competitors out there. So to Alan's question, when he asked you, you said like you know. You're losing business at one level because the pie is shrinking. Yes. In other words, customers are cutting back, one. Two is there's some new direct competitors. Yes. But they're doing the same thing. Right. And three was, to his point, there's a new category of competitor. Yes. And these guys, you said, 
are doing the apps. That's just an interface way to click yes. what rewards yeah. they want to write. Yeah. That's an easy thing for you to solve. Yes. Have you done that? Uh, we, we have an app at the moment, yes. Okay. Yes. So then yes. what's the problem then? I think the problem is finding that, that, that new business because there's so many um, competitors out there mm. knocking on the doors and getting through those doors, it's the age-old sales problem, mm. uh, picking up the phone and, and, and finding those customers. And mm. are the hygiene factors in, in order in terms of like BE status and, and all that? Yes, yes. Okay. So, so yeah. you, you're competing on an equal footing? We're on an equal footing. Um, a lot of the tenders come in via procurement um, departments and not the stakeholders who actually have HR. or run, it's either HR or, or head of sales. Um, and from that point of view, we're finding a big difference in, in the ask because we're often being asked questions in the, in the RFQ that we know are more procurement type questions and not uh, value questions coming from marketing or sales or HR. In your team now, if, uh, you've got around five people there. Mm. What percentage of people are out there selling? Mm. Uh, one. One. Yes. Y you. Yes. Okay. And how do you find those oh. clients? Or are they just coming to you via the RFQ? Um, no, RFQ is one. Via our website is, is the other. And the third thing is I pick up the phone and, and, uh, and mm. phone. Yeah. And a tough question, a hard question. Are you the right guy to do that? I think I was when I began. And yeah. over these many, many years later, perhaps I'm not the right person anymore. Yeah. Um, and particularly in presenting. Those companies I mentioned as competitors are all a lot younger than myself. Mm. And perhaps we need a lot younger than myself out there pitching. One more uh, question from my side. Mm. The scale issue, you know, uh, what, I, what I mean, let me set up the context of for this question is, you put bespoke programs in a company yes. of a thousand staff. Yes. And then you go to the next one, you put a bespoke program. Yes. Is there any alternative <clears throat> competitor that is perhaps offering something that's scaling or optimizing uh, the 10,000 or the 100,000 because they've got lots of these thousands. Is there any optimization opportunity? Uh, yeah, our, our system is scalable. So whether it's 50 people in a company, right up to thousands, it's, it's the same system and it mm. simply scales upwards. Mm -hmm. So no competitor is scaling that differently? Uh, they, they are scaling. So, so yes, we, okay. we again, uh, we, we're on parity with them. We're going to have to take a break now. Uh, when we're back, uh, we're going to start with our summaries. Yeah? Mm. Right. We'll be right back. A warm welcome back. Now, our guest in studio today is Jeff Sainer, and uh, they offer incentive recognition and reward programs. Before the break, we were trying to get a sense of where the competition was coming from. We also summarized that it was uh, basically in three categories. It was the fact that uh, the, uh, there was a shrinkage of the issues in the, in the business where there was a shrinkage in, in the actual demand. There was more competition in the same space and there were alternative forms of, com of competition. Time for summaries, Kamara? Yeah. Uh, for me, I would start with the, my comments are going to start always with a macro view, mm -hmm. the wide, and then I'll narrow it down. There's three or four things that I want to say. The first is impacting your, your business is uh, social trends. 
you know, it's a, it's the emotional, human, behavioristic stuff. So the long-term threats and what's happening, socio-economic type of stuff, you know, where people may not have the time mm. to want to go and travel, even though they may value that more. Companies may not want to give them the leave. And you've got all kinds of different stuff happening economically and social behavior change that would impact your model or your type of business. And so that requires one to adapt. I don't think those things that held true maybe 20 years ago mm. may hold true uh, 10 years later and 10 years after that. So that's definitely a bigger consideration for your type of business. And, and I would definitely urge you to check that out a bit more. Uh, get someone else to advocate that for you because right. you're inside the box. Right. You can't read the label right. on the bottle when you're inside, right? Yeah. Second thing is what's happening either with technology or non-technology issues that's creating an alternative model to deliver what you're doing. So yes, uh, uh, apps and things like that is just a way for them to experience it and engage with it and it's an theoretically an easier thing to solve. But also, there's economies of scale in the buying power. Mm. So, you know, if you're doing a program with a thousand staff and you're only buying 10 flights a year, your buying power is that. But if someone is doing this with a hundred thousand, their buying power is a different level. And so the uniqueness and the economies of scale in pricing, what they can take some of the margin and give to their customers mm. may be different. So either someone's already doing that or you need to do that. I'm aware in a rewards program that people latch on to others, mm. another program. They bundle up because of that scale in pricing or, or, or something like that. So that's the second thing you'd need to look at. The third is your whole sales engagement. You know, if you are engaging yourself and you're the only guy doing that, well, that's the uh, input that you're doing. Obviously, your output's going to, your results are going to be a co uh, uh, correspondingly low. Sure. Uh, but I would urge you to fix the first two up mm. and then get into this whole sales strategy, sales process, sales people type of thing. The whole, you know, so I would, I would go in that order though. Okay, thank you. Well, for me, it's, um, uh, let, let, let me try and start with us. I'm going to start also with, with from, from a sales point of view, just to kick off from Kumaran, is that I think you need a new salesperson. This is not as a, and I don't read this as that you're the wrong person. I think it's an and, not an all. Mm -hmm. But you certainly need a new uh, approach, a new younger mm -hmm. blood in, 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 to go out there. Because they will see the world a little differently mm -hmm. to the way that you, by default, like, like I've been in my business for 18 years, I've got nine salespeople out there. They mm -hmm. see the world very differently too. Because I hold all the stories from 18 years ago, mm -hmm. and, and they don't. And in a way, it allows them to sell better than I do. Okay. So uh, that's that's a, for me is a is a, is a must. Now that is of course much more difficult than it's, the sales mm -hmm. because who is this person? How do I incentivize them? Can I afford them? Yeah. How do I you know hand them over? So make sure that there's a proper selection, training, and handover mm -hmm. process that you delegate, not abdicate the the role. The second thing is that I'd say is that you, in my Humble opinion is I think that you're misunderstanding the alternative. That, that third piece mm. is I don't think you're quite getting uh, what it is. In other words, there is somebody eating your lunch and you can't mm. see them. Mm. Okay. Mm. You think it's the app. The app, as Kumar rightly put, is just um, a, a, a means to, yeah. to distribute. Yeah. But there's something else that's eating your lunch and you can't see it. Okay. 
So what my suggestion is, is once you get this, this salesperson out there, is that you get on a plane and you go travel worldwide and you go and try and understand where the trends are moving around the world in terms of incentives. Mm -hmm. You come back fresh with a new perspective and you can re-infuse the business. And you become the entrepreneur in the organization where you're coming with the fresh new ideas. The third point I want to make is is that to broaden your category of of incentives. So incentives for you, from what I'm understanding is how it's presented right now is very much around for sales or performance related. Mm, mm. To me, there's also a huge issue today is about attracting the right people. Mm, mm. So there's an incentive to attract. How do you do that? That might be a whole new category of incentive. Number two is retention. How do you, how do you then broaden yeah. that? And what are people globally doing around retention mm. in the incentives around in t- a retention, which is broader than salary or bonus, mm. things like that. And the last piece that I would like to say is, is talk about what you think about is where you can hold for some temporary period at least some exclusivity so that you hold something that no one else can offer as mm. an incentive. Because when you compete w- uh, with something that's exclusive and while you're on your plane traveling around, you're looking for these exclusive opportunities that you have maybe for six or, t- or 12 mm. month mm. period that your competitors don't have and then hit the market very strong with those exclusive offers. Then when you're exclusive, you can charge margin. And when you have margin, it's always nice. It becomes to, more uh, profitable. It's more yeah. profitable. And yeah. then, you can in, in, then it's a virtuous cycle. You employ more yeah. salespeople, get on more yeah. planes. Yeah. And so you, you start to you yeah. energize the business upward. Super. All right. Please stay tuned to see what's coming up after the break. We'll be right back. The brand of business is slowly ch- starting to change, that it's not all about me, that, that I'm part of a bigger ecosystem and if and there is a, a, a actual economic upside for me to be good. A warm welcome back to our leadership series. Uh, last week uh, we had Adam Craker, CEO of IQ Business, uh, back in studio with us after some popular demand. And uh, I understand why there's such a demand for this man's uh, conscious thought about leadership. Last week we were talking about uh, using uh, business as a force for good. And we ended off that conversation with a comment. Uh, a quote by Raymond Ackerman that doing good is good for business and I think that is the topic that I want to be talking about today. So first of all welcome back and thank you for for your great insight. But you know it's a, that's a seems like a nice statement it sort of sort of rhymes doing good is good for business but have you experienced it yourself? Oh we have and uh, it's probably best to talk about uh, a number of examples uh, of how uh, engaging with organizations that perhaps are not-for-profit or uh, private benefit, public benefit uh, organizations has really led to uh, a number of uh, positives for our, for our business. Uh, we spoke previously, for example, about um, our decision to become a B Corporation. Mm. I didn't explain where that came from was actually that uh, we engaged with an education-based organization called Partners for Possibility. And the CEO of PFP, um, Louise Van Rin, 
was traveling to the US to receive an award. And she asked me if I would um, assist her by uh, introducing her to people in my network in New York. And I reached out to, through the Young Presidents Organization to the head of the Social Enterprise Network. And this lady very kindly offered to host Louise in her um, Sixth Avenue um, apartment with a group of celebrities and assembled people. And uh, it was a really uh, pivotal moment for PFP in terms of their own fundraising. But as a result of that, um, uh, the person that hosted the event uh, suggested that uh, IQ Business should become a B Corporation and sent the book back with Louise, but insisted and said, you must read the book and you must consider this. And so um, this kind of circular reference happened in that instance, and it's led to us advancing uh, our organization along the paths that I've, uh, I've described. But where's the money? Well, where, where's, <laughs> where's the money? It gets translated in a number, a number of ways. Um, uh, if I look at some of the organizations we work with that are not-for-profit, their target funders happen to be our clients as well. And very often there's a, a reciprocity that takes place. I'll give you an example. Uh, Absa Bank is a major uh, client of ours. They have their own foundation. They have their own focus on a number of organizations. Uh, and from time to time, they ask us to return some of the money that they've paid to us in support of some of those NGOs. And it may be in, in real cash terms or in kind, in terms of us providing some of our IQers to support or to attend an event might be a, a golf event or it might be um, a shed building event. Um, uh, and we find that there's an expectation that exists between us and our clients that we will work with each other on these types of initiatives. And again, that circular reference, uh, ABSA have not said to us that if we were not to support, they would cut us off. But we clearly, uh, we, there's an incentive for us <laughs> to engage. So, so that's on two levels. I mean, I can imagine that you would get through the networks that uh, this creates, doing good business, and it creates opportunities for, for new opportunities, mm. uh, financial opportunities. And it's also a retention strategy that mm. you work with your, right. your, your, your clients in terms of retaining them and building stronger relationships. Mm. But let's go back to, to Raymond Ackerman. Mm. Like you take a retailer, like uh, how, how would he execute that in, mm. within a retailer mm. environment? Is it giving away free bread? Well, it was, uh, I think the, the uh, instigation of that was how to uh, make sure that they limited waste uh, within the pick and pay organization. So um, uh, if you're running a, a big uh, fresh produce retailer like pick and pay, obviously as things come to the end of life or end of shelf life, they're, um, they're, they're, you could choose to just simply destroy uh, those products or to ensure that uh, not-for-profit organizations benefit. Um, you certainly don't deliver wasted or rotten goods to them, but you make sure that you don't dispose of things that could be used uh, by a not-for-profit organization. So again, that produces, I think, a, a loyalty between pick and pay and, uh, and their customer base. A customer who needs, uh, needs support today could be a customer uh, of the future, an individual of the future that uh, 
um, uh, is able to move up in life and become a future customer. I want to take a slightly awkward uh, tack to, to the conversation. You know, big business, all business to, to an extent, has got a, or had very much a Machiavellian brand. It's about me, it's all about me, I'll do anything in order to win, it's all about the bottom line. Mm. This is very much a 60s, 70s, 80s in particular brand of, of, of business. Mm. The brand of business is slowly ch starting to change, mm. that it's not all about me, that, that I'm part of a bigger ecosystem and if and there is a, a, a actual economic upside for me mm. to be good. Okay, mm. just can you give me commentary on on, on my observation? Do you think mm. that it's, it's valid? I think it's valid, but I think it's changing. Mm. And I was at um, Gibbs Business School uh, this week, and I had a conversation with Dr. Johan van Sale, the chairman of Sunlum, and he's now CEO of uh, African Rainbow Capital. And in that conversation, he, he said to me, remember, Adam, the business of business is business. Mm. But, he said, and it's the first time that I've, I've heard a, um, a statesman, a don of the, of the uh, uh, capital, the world of capital, actually saying, but we have to move on from this very well-defined and understood capitalist approach to mm. the reason that business exists into a much broader narrative, into that social narrative that I spoke about, that we have such an opportunity with 30% unemployment plus in South Africa, of which we see in the youth sector 50% plus unemployment. These are future employees and future customers. If we can get um, uh, the challenge tackled and get individuals into the economy, then our economy will grow and we'll grow our customer base and we will move forward. That's a good uh, place to end and a good segue into our discussion for next week, which is around nation building, because these are all about nation building. Unemployment's an issue, education's an issue. Um, and let's talk about uh, how we can use our businesses, small or big, in terms of building this nation. Great. And so whatever policies we've had in the past may, may need to change. So these two things are inconvenient in my world. Welcome back from a very cold Johannesburg. 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 IFRS is an abbreviation for International Financial Reporting Standards. Two of these standards have changed and I'll give them to you one by one. IFRS 9 regulates financial instruments and IFRS 15 regulates revenue from contracts with customers. Both came into effect on the 1st of January 2018. Joining me now to unpack how it's going to have an impact on your business is Bongeka Nodada, Project Director, Financial Reporting at Saika. Welcome. Thank you. Right, so which, which entities are going to be affected by, by these changes? 
So with the new revenue standard in the financial reporting and financial instrument standard, um, listed companies are going to be affected because they're required by the listed requirements to comply with IFRS. Plus, the Companies Act also requires them to comply with IFRS. But in addition to that, you've got the SMEs as well, yeah. who either will be required by legislation or they'll opt to apply IFRS. So some will do so via the MOI, which is a Memorandum of Incorporation. Mm. So as I indicated, some will voluntarily apply IFRS, so they will then be affected by the new um, standards. So whether they audit, choose to have their annual financial statements audited or not, this still applies to them. It still applies as long as they they are applying the IFRS framework. And are, are they forced to apply that? They're not forced to. It also, it depends on your public interest score in terms of the Companies Act. Yes. So, if a public interest score is lower than 350, then you have the option to apply either IFRS or IFRS for SMEs. Or you can even fall below that and you can apply uh, entity-specific accounting policies. So, you actually don't have to apply with a specific um, framework. Now, this this affects you. Very, very much so, as a finance business. Yes, Okay. it does. We, are a we run a finance company. Yes, so let's just go through. So from our IFRS 9 is so about? That's about the impairments and bad debts, right? And your write-offs and stuff like that on, a, on your instruments. Yes, that's basically about your financial instruments. IFRS 9 is basically about your financial instruments. So any business has a financial instrument. So a financial instrument is anything like cash, yes. is a financial instrument. Invoice. Debtors, uh -huh. financial creditors, your financial instruments. And you can go as far as, you know, having your investment in shares or and so forth. But, yeah. you know, in a small business, you have the very simple, the simple financial instruments like your debtors, your cash. But in your financial in institutions, you have very complex financial instruments. Um, so, so in terms of the definition of financial instruments, you're looking at your cash debtors and your creditors for a very small entity. I, I, d I didn't uh, welcome you. You know, that's the problem. In marriage, sometimes you take each other for granted. granted. I need to imagine what's going on at home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <I've> <laughs> okay. Okay. I no. <laughs> I I 15. How does that affect you? That's about... Uh, uh, again, a finance business, we're lending people money over three, four, five years. That's a contract. And there's different aspects to the revenue we earn in that contract. This affects how we recognize the revenue. Do we recognize all of it up front or we recognize it over the term? Mm. And so whatever policies we've had in the past may, may need to change. So these two things are inconvenient in my world. So how's it going to affect, how can we as uh, small businesses people you're watching this now going, oh my gosh, another piece of legislation. You know how I feel about that. How, how can we prepare now for our financial year end? I think the most important thing is to review your contracts. If you've got contracts with your customers, please yeah. try and review them because under both standards you'll be affected. If you've got debtors, for example, you will be affected in the sense that the way you measure your debtors will actually change going forward. You have to, under the current financial instrument standard, the way you recognize your, your measuring impairments is based on an incurred loss model. In other words, you only, you only recognize an impairment once a debtor is defaulted. Mm -hmm. Under the new standard, it's actually before you actually defaulted, before the debtor is defaulted. So it's, called, it's what we call the expected credit loss model. So you anticipate what okay. your debtor's So that's better for me, no? Why is it bad? You, uh, you imagine that you now recognize a loss up front. Yeah. So 
you actually have what's, what's going to happen is going to you're going to impact your, your financial statements. So think about your profitability. Think about your ratios. But what, what is I that going to do? But I determine what that rate is. You determine what that yes, what what that rate is. Yes. So would I, for example, look at my bad debt ratio over the last five years? take an average and then have to apply that in the, in the, the yes, current year? Yes, you look at historical information, but you also need to look at forward-looking information. So look at your economic indicators, look at your employment rates, and yeah. think so, other so industry factors, so the, the economic factors the, the, that you need to have. The two at. big impacts in, for SMEs, if I give my version of what, what I'm hearing you say and to answer your question, one is it creates a bit more effort for the SME now. Yeah. Right, it's up a bit more PT, mm -hmm. maybe upfront, but it is a bit more PT, and then you need they need to talk to the external accountant. And second, it could potentially impact, like she said, the profitability. So it could be inconvenient in that way, because if you have to forward look, you may have to write off something or impair something, and that's going to affect your results. But can't you write it back when you collect it? Uh, only when it, okay, and then that's, that's, that nine, that's on nine, and on fifteen. That, uh, well, I mean, let me, let me let her answer first and then I'll maybe give a translation for SMEs. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in terms of RFS 15, I think, I've, well, most SMEs will not really be affected that much, just except for the disclosures of what you disclose in your financial statements. So RFS 15 will talk about when you actually recognize your revenue. So if you're involved, if you are entering into a cash sale transaction, you shouldn't be affected by RFS 15 mm. because what you incur and what you receive, it, it takes place at the same time. So mm. it shouldn't be a problem. What it comes in is we actually have contracts that take place over more than one year. Yes. Like he, like he probably enters into, into similar contracts. Yes. Where, um, for example, your construction, if you're operating a construction industry, yes. your telecommunications industries, you will yeah. def definitely be affected. It's right. about when you actually recognize revenue. Yeah. And when do you recognize revenue? Do you recognize it? In, in, in the time that it's delivered? So is it deferred income? Or how, how, what does it actually say? You need to recognize it as you transfer your, 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 your performance obligation. Okay. So it's now moved away from transferring your physical good or service yes. to transferring your performance obligation. So in your world, let's say in race corp world, you get a, th can I use that example? You yeah. get a three year, a three year contract with a corporate. Yeah. They pay you the money, let's assume upfront. Yes. And let's assume whether you are not immaterial, let's assume you were recognizing all that money, even though it's a three year contract, yeah. they pay you on day one, you recognize it all in day one. Yeah. Now you have to recognize it. Over three years. Right, it pushes okay. you more in that direction. Yeah. Now if you haven't made adjustments, you can imagine what that change yeah. in model yeah. As to one's but that has a positive impact for uh, uh, what, what happens to the the VAT on on that? Because do you recognise the VAT as uh, uh, at which point? Well, I think yeah, I think there's a different you know the uh, I, I can't really deal with the VAT point because I, I deal with financial reporting, but that's 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 a tax that will then yeah. you know dictate how much VAT you actually you actually there's no you have to pay. There's a short yes. answer. Yes. No, so you pay all the VAT upfront, but you recognise it over the period. Okay. Because you, you receive that yeah. money up front. Yeah. So I comply with everything, but what happens if Kumaran doesn't comply? There's a problem because you're not complying, you're contravening the act. For example, if the company's act does require you to comply with the IFRS, mm. then you're contravening the act. You need to think about what the audit implications are. Mm. You need to think about the legal implications for your business as well. So I need to get him an orange overall. You can join me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose Just so. quickly before we go, where can I read up about this? You can go through the SICA website at uh, www.sica.co.za.
Great. That's where you can get all the information. Thanks so much for shedding some light, and uh, I'll come visit. Please stay tuned uh, for my reflections on the entrepreneurial journey. Well, it's time for my reflections on the entrepreneurial journey. On the screen, you'll see my cartoon where Carlson is with his young son, and the son is saying, Dad, we learned about Einstein's theory of relativity at school, but I still don't understand. And Carlson responds, well, son, the seven days awaiting feedback after submitting a proposal seems much longer than the seven days you were given to put the proposal together. That's the theory of relativity. And this uh, cartoon actually is uh, borrowed from actually how Einstein explained relativity to, to somebody else, where he said, when you're sitting next to a beautiful lady, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, a, an hour feels like a minute. But you, when you're sitting next to somebody who's terrible, a minute can seem like an hour, and that's the theory of relativity. And this goes to us as entrepreneurs, is that we're always in this uh, environment where our clients are saying, hurry up, we need that proposal, we need that proposal, and, and it feels like you've got no time to put that proposal together. And then you put the proposal together and you submit it, and uh, every day seems like an absolute eternity waiting for that feedback. And I say to entrepreneurs, that is normal, that is absolutely a normal part of the entrepreneurial journey. The point is not to hyper-focus on getting the answer. Take your eyes off, off the focusing on the, the answer and go and start working on new clients. And before you know it, you'll get an answer, either positive or negative, obviously, hopefully positive. But if it is negative, because you have a pipeline, because you have other uh, opportunities or prospects out there, it dulls the pain of losing that, that deal. So please don't sit like many entrepreneurs that I see where they do one proposal at a time and then sit there and wait. And when they get the answer no, then they start again. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Well, that's it for my reflections for today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Do remember if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. And the courage to grow is business. MTN Business. A new world of business.